Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are wrapping up this morning our series we've been calling um, More or Less. And um, it's really timely that we do it, as we, especially as we head into the Christmas season, Thanksgiving season. Um, this Thursday, we are all going to stuff ourselves completely. And then, and then on Friday, Thursday's Thanksgiving, and Friday is... Black Friday. Everybody knows Black Friday. Um, Black Friday is the official start of the Christmas shopping gift giving season. And, um, and there's a lot of discussion about where that term actually came up with. The most popular one is this, is that for retailers, um, it's named Black Friday because the, the business that is done on that one day can make the difference between whether that, that, um, that business, that store, will end up the year in the red or in the black. And so it's hoped that the business done on that day will actually bring that year to a close and they will end up in the black, hence the name Black Friday. And, um, and what's amazing is this year, actually, it's starting early because Thanksgiving ends up so late in the month of November that it actually, they lose a whole week of Christmas shopping. And, um, and so this whole Black Friday idea, they've actually moved it up a little bit. There are some stores that are actually opening at midnight to start the Black Friday sale. And some of them are actually starting at 6 o'clock in the evening, which means that some people will actually give up time with their family to go stand in line or maybe even camp out all over the night before just to get that 65-inch flat-screen HD TV. And they will give up family time for that. Now, depending on your family, that might be a good choice. I don't know. (laughs) But some people will do that. And the irony of the whole thing to me is that I am willing to bet that the person who will camp out overnight or spend their whole Thanksgiving day in line to get that 65-inch flat-screen TV is probably not buying it as a gift for somebody else. (laughs) It's supposed to be the start of the gift-buying season, but I I am willing to bet that anybody willing to stand in line that long is doing it to get it for themselves. Because honestly, who's going to go through all that effort for somebody else? Okay, Black Friday. And it makes you kind of stop and ask the question, is it worth it? I mean, really, for us this morning, when you think about it, is it worth that much? It raises the question for it. How much is enough? Do I really need all of this stuff? And that's really the heart of the series that we're calling More or Less. And the catalyst for this whole thing is this book that that I came across. Actually, Pastor Larry gave it to me a couple months ago. Started reading it. Really started challenging me in my own pursuit of stuff. The title of the book is More or Less. It's written by a guy named Jeff Schinnebogger. And what I love about the book is it's not a guilt trip lane like, you know, you, you, you live way too richly. It's, it's just, it's filled with very practical ways in which you can learn to draw the line of enough in your own life and then use whatever is above that enough line to make a difference in this world and help somebody else who is in need. In fact, it's such a, a transforming book for me. Um, we ordered a number of copies of them. They have them. We have them for you out in the lobby. And I actually, I understand between the pre-orders that we got last week and people who bought them at last night's service were out. So we will pre, you can pre-order them still. And if you, if you don't want to wait for that, you, you can get it on your own. But I highly recommend that you pick up this book because it has just such practical ways on how you can draw the line of enough in your own life and then discover a lifestyle of generosity to give what is above and beyond the enough line for you. 
And, uh, and so I really encourage you to pick up that book. This morning, we've been talking about, well, last week, we started actually two weeks ago. Pastor Larry talked about this whole idea of more and our endless pursuit of more and how it never really satisfies. It's, as scripture says, it's like chasing after the wind. You never really get a hold of it. And last week, we talked about the power of less. What would happen if we actually chose to live on less and what we could do with the difference and all that? So today, we're going to finish up this whole series with talking about enough, more or less enough, drawing the line of enough. And the the key scripture we're going to use is in Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And it's actually towards the end of the letter. And I got to give you a little bit of background because he writes this letter to this church from prison in Rome. He has now been arrested um, he has been taken from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, where he is about to stand trial. And, um, and, and in that, um, living, by the way, in, Rome, in a Roman prison, you were pretty much at the mercy of anybody on the outside to assist you. You weren't guaranteed a regular meal or any of your necessities really being met. It really took somebody on the outside to put kind of money into your account so you would get regular meals. And so what happened was the Philippian church found out about this, and they took a collection. They sent it with a man named Epaphroditus to Rome so that Paul would be taken care of while he was in prison. And so as Paul writes this letter, there's a very um, personal connection with this church, and they've been partners with him all through the ministry. And at the very end of this letter, it's in chapter 4, he is finishing up the letter, and he's writing a bit of a thank you to them. And that's where we pick up the story. It's this personal note of gratitude. So if it's in, you want to follow along, it's in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. So what he wrote. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Somewhere... Between more and less, somewhere between plenty and need, somewhere between well-fed and hungry, on that continuum, somewhere between those two extremes, there is a place called enough. (laughs) Paul used the word content, contentment. And this morning, what I want to do is help every one of us for our own lives kind of find out where is that mark of contentment, where you and I can learn to draw the line and say, that's enough, I'm content, and then use what's above and beyond that to help serve the needs in our world. So we're going to look at, in a very practical way, this whole idea of contentment. And here's the first insight that Paul gives us. 
Contentment is something that is learned, not something you buy. (laughs) Now, that's really, really important because we live in a culture and in a world that tells us if you just buy this, then you will be content. If you just have this item, if you just have this much stuff, if you just get this much on your paycheck, once you reach this level, you will be content. And the truth of the matter is, as Larry said a couple of weeks ago, you will never reach that level. Because more, more is an appetite. And appetites are never really fully satisfied. This Thursday, most of us in this room will overeat. We will stuff ourselves to the point that we will say, I don't think I need to eat for a week. But I guarantee you, when you get up on Friday morning, you will be hungry again. Because that's the way appetites are. More is an appetite that will never be satisfied. And though our culture tells us if you just buy the newer version, the brighter, shinier, the faster, the, whatever it is, then you will be content. Paul says, no, no, no. Contentment is something you learn. It's not something you buy. It's something that you learn. It's an appetite. It's a choice. It's drawing the line that says enough. He writes it this way. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He says, I've learned this secret. Now, what's interesting is the wording on that in the original Greek language, which is what our New Testament was written in, when Paul originally wrote this, that, that little phrase, I've learned the secret, is actually kind of a, it's, a, it's a phrase that has to do with kind of being initiated into a secret society um, where you learn the passcode, you learn, you learn the secret password, you learn the secret handshake, you, you join a, a, a group of people that nobody else is a part of. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to the secret society of contentment. Because that's what Paul's talking about. How did he learn it? How did he learn it? See, the, the secret is this. The secret is, it doesn't matter about your circumstances. The secret is that my sense of security and my sense of self-worth does not come from the stuff that I have or the income that I earn. It's a life that is empowered by Jesus Christ. He says, that's the root of the secret. And how did he learn it? He learned it through his circumstances. He learned it through the different experiences of his life, whether it was well-fed or hungry, whether he was in plenty or in want. What he learned is in the circumstances, there is this place called contentment. He learned it through his life experience, and that's the only way you and I are going to learn it. Now, there are some things that you can do, some experiences that you can choose to put yourself through, experiments, if you will. That's what Jeff Schinnebogger calls them. These experiments to help you define the life of enough. And, and he tells a number of them, one of them from his own experiences. It actually happened after one Christmas that they had kind of gone overboard for Christmas and spent more money than was in the budget. They actually used their charge card more than they had expected. And they ended up with a, a bill in January for, on, their charge, um, on their credit card that was higher than they wanted. Actually, they didn't want any balance in their credit card. So they decided they were going to pay it off. They had spent too much, so now they were going to pay the price for it. And so what they decided is they were going to not make any purchases through the whole month of January. They weren't going to buy any new clothes. After all, we just had Christmas. We got new clothes. You know, we weren't going to buy any. All these things they said they were not going to buy. And it was still not going to be enough to get that bill down and so he came up with this harebrained idea what if we went the whole month of january and didn't buy groceries 
If we just lived on what was already in our freezer or our refrigerator or in our pantry, in our cabinets, and just, just decided, and his wife said, well, what about milk? You got to have fresh milk. She said, okay, we'll buy milk, okay? But let's just, and she, and she was all for it. She said, okay, let's do this. And he writes about it in the book. I want to read it to you. He said, um, my always adventurous wife was all in. And so it began. Our first intentional organized social experiment. What is enough food? We started with the meats in the freezer. And when mixed with a bag of rice and and steamed vegetables, we felt proud of our healthy meal. This is doable, we thought. After three days, we ran out of all the fresh vegetables and fruits. We started digging deeper. We had three boxes of corn muffins we worked through with some chili. Deeper still, we found five freezer-burned lean cuisine dinners at the bottom of the freezer. Deeper. The two boxes of brownies and the cake mix were a special highlight for me. We got to the bottom of the freezer and found a package of six frozen, unbaked loaves of bread. Score! We baked all of them. One loaf would last a few days, and then we'd go on to the next one. Put that in the oven. We ran out of butter for the bread and eventually worked through all of our olive oil. We, are, we ate canned soup, more canned soup, spaghetti, noodles with no sauce, the last box of macaroni and cheese, canned tuna. At some point in the process, I realized I had not actually ever seen the back of my cupboard before that moment. We found small bottles of Mott's apple juice, some canned soup, jello, and ramen noodles. They never go bad, right? Oh, and about 20 little packets of Kool-Aid. Lastly, we made pancakes three times. We committed to going a month without grocery shopping. At the end, we lasted seven weeks without going to the grocery store once. Also, I think I gained about seven pounds from all the starches and carbohydrates we ate. I wouldn't recommend eating this way, but this small experiment helped us to evaluate the food excess we already owned without even realizing it. And this simple, actionable social experiment launched this journey to define what is enough for our lives. We had nearly two months of groceries sitting in the kitchen pantry and didn't even know it. I wonder how long you would last if you just went through the food you already had. Tells another story of a girl named Ashley who who realized that she was just consumed with clothes. And so she decided her experiment was going to be that she was going to wear every single item in her closet at least once before re-wearing it a second time. And she went through this whole thing. She actually said she got to one day, she had in the back of her closet an old bridesmaid dress. But she had said she would do it, so she did, and she wore it to work one day. Which he said got all kinds of comments from people, but it opened up opportunities for this discussion about enough. So I'm going to encourage you to just try and find what is enough for you. Find one area of your life and take an experiment with it. Because the deal is contentment is something that is learned. It is not something that is bought. Here's another great insight. Contentment is a choice. And it is a choice that everyone must make for themselves. Only you can draw the line for your own life. See, it's much easier to critique somebody else's lifestyle. 
It's much easier to point to somebody else and tell them, well, you have more than enough of this or more than enough of that. And it's very easy to see it in somebody else. I do not recommend that. It will tend to alienate people. (laughs) And it will do you no good. See, everybody's got to be able to define that for themselves. You've got to draw your own line, wherever it may be. Now, this doesn't mean you take a vow of poverty. You know, very few of us in this room are Mother Teresa. But every one of us has the option to be able to decide somewhere in that span between want and plenty, where is enough for you? See, you got to understand, in at least a good third of this world, people don't have that option. What they get has to be enough because it's all they're going to get. Most of us in this room, you and I, we have the option to actually draw that line. But you got to do it for yourself. You can't do it for somebody else. It is an intentional act. And by the way, this might be a little scary for you. This is going to be challenging. This might be a little bit more than you think you can handle. But you can do it. It is really an act of faith. And that's why Paul precedes this whole thing with these words. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, don't be anxious about this. In fact, do it with a grateful heart. Do this with thanksgiving. Realize how much extra you have and be grateful for that. And then don't worry about the other stuff. God will take care of you. It is an act of faith. Create new habits. Now, last week I gave you one. I told you about my t-shirt collection and I actually did this Monday morning on my day off. I went through my whole t-shirt collection and I cleaned out. I gave away half, more than half of the t-shirts that I had and it was more than enough. I still have plenty left over. But the idea was just go home and find something that you have more than enough of, something that you could give away today and it will not affect your life very much at all tomorrow. Okay, that was the baby step I encourage you to do. This week, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit more. This week, I want to challenge you to take a deeper step and actually change some of your financial habits that will create a long-lasting change. Last week, was just kind of doing away with something that you didn't need and didn't use anyway. This week, I want to challenge you to take it a step further. There's a number of ways that you can do this. Make a difference that is going to be ongoing. I don't know if you do this in your family. We got to a point in our family where, you know, it, it started to grow and we had, you know, the kids grew up and they had kids and married and so the extended family. And so a number of years ago, we went to this idea of we drew names for Christmas because you, you couldn't afford to buy presents for everybody. So we drew names and everybody would draw a name, you know, and then you would buy for however many people that were in your name. The trouble is as the family got more and more extended, it became harder and harder to really know what that person would want. And when you're buying a gift for somebody, you know, who lives on the other side of the country and you don't really know what their tastes are, you had to call somebody and find out what would they like. And you, it was a whole big thing. And, and then you ended up buying a gift for somebody that they may or may not want. So here's an idea. Instead of doing that, if you do that in your, in your household, instead of doing that, when you get together this Thanksgiving and you start talking about your Christmas plans now, how about you sit around and say, okay, listen, instead of buying gifts for each other, and really we all have more than we want, 
and more than we need. What if we took that $25 or $30 or whatever that limit is that you guys set and say around the Thanksgiving table, instead of buying presents for each other, why don't we take that money, let's pool it together, and let's decide together what kind of project or what person in need or what thing we could do to help somebody else. And instead of giving gifts to people who already have more than enough, giving gifts to somebody who's truly in need. That's one thing you could do. So another one, Schoenbarger talks about this. There's a group, they started this idea called Meals with a Mission. And they have dinner parties. And they invite 10 people to a dinner party, but they tell everybody, bring $100. And then at the dinner party, 10 people, $100 each, that's $1,000. And the discussion of the, around the dinner table that evening is, what are we going to do with our $1,000? And everybody gets to make a pitch for their need, their charity, whatever it might be. And then they all vote together, and that's what they do with it. You might try that. Okay? There's a number of things. One of the things we started doing, um, for as long as I can remember, we have done something. Betty and I host a Christmas party for our pastoral staff and the board, the leadership of the church. And it's just kind of our gift to the leadership. And we used to, every year, we used to do this white elephant gift exchange, you know, where everybody would bring their junk, wrap it up in a piece of paper, and somebody else would take it home. Okay? And that's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's a good, fun thing to do. That, that's a cool thing. About three years ago, we decided to do something different. We said, you know, instead of just trading each other's junk, why don't we do this? He said, everybody bring a gift, a toy or a game, something that represents you in a brown paper bag. Don't wrap it up. And then the game that we play is we bring out each gift and everybody gets a score sheet and they have to write down who they think each gift matches. And what happens is you learn a lot more about each other and about your life and your background and what we do is then we take those gifts and we add them to the Adopt-A-Family tree that our church does every year. And so now there's gifts here and presents for kids that can fill in some of the holes in case somebody didn't get a gift. And that way we have a great time. We share gifts together and then we help somebody else. So those are just a couple of different ideas. You can come up with your own. There's a number of them. Some, a lot of them are in Schinnebogger's um, um, book. And I highly encourage you to just do some creative thinking. Here's something that I've decided to do. Um, I, what I did was I sat down and I started to realize I spend well in excess of $100 a month at Starbucks. I have more than enough Starbucks in my life. I'm earning my stars and I'm getting a free one every 12, you know. But I'm still, with all of that, I am still spending over $100. I, I decided probably to the tune of at least $5 a pop. And I decided, you know what? Here's a lifestyle change I could make. I could go to Starbucks at least six less times a month. And with that 30 plus dollars, we could sponsor another orphan in Uganda. It's not a major lifestyle change for me. But it's just one more way that I'm drawing the line. And, and there are other ways. I'm just giving you some examples. But the idea is this. Make a lifestyle change that will affect your finances in such a way that you could help someone else in need. Draw the line for yourself. In fact, on your, on your outline paper, I'd like you to take it on the point there. And just write this sentence. I have more than enough of blank. And you don't have to answer that one right now. In fact, I prefer you don't. I prefer you listen to the rest of the sermon. But take it home. And just with that sentence, I have more than enough of blank. And just this week, in your thanksgiving, 
realize I have more than enough of this in my life. And I could reduce that and use the difference to help somebody else. Draw the line. All right? Last thing. Contentment, one of the results is it'll deepen your sense of gratitude. See, when you draw the line at enough, what happens is you begin to realize how much more than enough you have. And it deepens your sense of gratitude towards God, towards other people when they give to you, when they help you. And instead of expecting and demanding things from other people, it gives you a greater sense of of gratitude for what you do have. Paul's relationship with the Philippian church was such, they had helped him a number of times And they actually became a part and an extension of his ministry. He said, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now, what's astounding about that is Philippi was not a particularly wealthy church uh, community, particularly in comparison to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was actually a very wealthy population. And yet here are these people in Philippi who are supporting the ministry of Paul to these rich people. (laughs) And he says, you know what happened is that you became a part of my ministry. In fact, he goes on, he says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. What he's saying is it's not that I didn't appreciate your helping me. And in fact, it's not that I, I, I disregarded all the help you. But I want you to know it was more than just a handout to me. What you did is you participated in the ministry and the success, whatever success I have had. You have been a part of that. You have shared in my ministry. You didn't necessarily come with me to Thessalonica. You didn't necessarily come with me on all these missionary journeys that I did and all these churches that I helped plant. But you had a part in it nonetheless. And his gratitude to to them was just overflowing. He wanted them to understand that you're a part of God's work in this world. I got to tell you, this is a story. I don't think I have told this story in the last six or seven years. So if you're new to Northgate, you, you haven't heard the story. Some of you old timers, you've heard this, probably you're tired of it. But it is one of those stories that just talks about that. When we were first starting this church, we were meeting in our living room. There were 12 adults, five kids meeting in our living room. And we had gotten the lease on the old post office, downtown Benicia. And, and the building needed a lot of refurbir- refurbishing. And um, there were some of us in the, in the church that had carpentry background. And so what we did was we worked out a deal with the landlords that we would do, it had some dry rot and some termite work that needed to be done, that we would do the dry rot and termite work. They would pay us, and then we could use that money to do the refurbishing to actually make it a space usable for a church to meet in. And so we did that, and we, we had saved our money. We got this. We got the money for the uh, dry rot work that we did. We did all the things. We put up the walls, all the electrical. Everything was run. Everything was finished except laying the carpet. We actually even got the carpet. We had bought the carpet. We just didn't get it laid, and then we had run out of money. We were totally done. We had spent every penny that we had for this project. And the only thing that was keeping us from opening the doors and actually going public with the launch of Northgate was the laying of this carpet. And I remember when I went down and bought the carpet, the guy at the carpet store said, well, who's going to lay the carpet for you? 
And I said, well, we don't know. <laughs> I have, a, I have, a, I have a, a brother-in-law. He was a carpet layer, worked as a carpet layer for a few years. He kind of knows what he's doing. So we kind of think we could figure it out on ourselves. And the guy said, please, please, don't do it. You're just going to ruin everything. He said, let me give you the name of one of our carpet layers. He does some work on the side. He can probably give you a better deal. He'll save you some money. And okay, that sounds good. So I, he got the number, got his contact information, called the guy. He met me on there, down there on a Saturday night. After we'd had a work party and everything was cleaned up for the day. And then he was coming. He came, showed him a place around, showed him the carpet. It had been delivered. He went through, measured all the square footage, did some figuring. He came back and he said, um, he gave me the price. And it was, I, I can't remember if it was 1800 or 2000 But it was, it was in that ballpark, which was more than we had. And, and so I said to him, I said, well, I said, you know, we're a church. We're just starting out. We don't have a whole lot of funds um, you know, we've got a lot of volunteer work. We, we can do all the grunt work. If you could do the part that shows, you know, the seams and the tucking and all that thing, if you could at least just do that, um, how much would that, you know, how much could you take off the, the price? So I figured, I mean, came back. He says, okay. He says, I'll tell you what. I'll just do it for an even $1,000, which was huge because he had pretty much cut the price in half. Trouble was, we didn't have $1,000 either. <laughs> But I couldn't tell him that because he had just brought down the price by a half. What am I going to do? So I just said, I said, okay, you know what? I said, I need to check, I need to check with our treasurer because I'm not sure exactly what, it wasn't a lie. I wasn't sure what exactly we had in our account. I had a pretty good idea, but I didn't have the exact. So I said, I just, uh, can I give you a call later tonight? He said, sure, that's fine. So he went home. Call, I called the treasurer from the office down there and I said, okay. What has been our giving pattern? How long would it take for us to save up $1,000 so we could lay the carpet? And she said, well, I'll have to take a look at that. I said, I'll get back to you. I said, okay. Finished up, closed up, went down, because that time we didn't have a location. So all we had was a post office box at the new post office. Stopped in at the new post office, picked up the mail for the week, um, brought it, and I was sorting through it in the, on my lap in the car. And I started sorting through it, and I came across, and there was this envelope, and the return address was from North Carolina. I didn't recognize the name. I don't know anybody that lives in North Carolina. I couldn't figure out what in the world this would be. So I opened it up, and in there was a letter. I can't tell the story without choking up. Um, And on the letter, it started like this. You don't know me, but a friend of yours, who is a friend of mine, has been out visiting me. And she told me about this new church that you're starting up. And I just sensed God laying it on my heart to send you this. And inside, folded inside the letter, was a check for $1,000. Total miracle. Total answer to prayer. Before I even prayed the prayer. <laughs> and you know what? And I, 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 somewhere, I'm sure I've got it somewhere in my files. I can't find it now. Um, but you know, that person, that woman in North Carolina... Her $1,000 gift made her a partner in the life of Northgate. And were it not for that, we may not have opened the doors that weekend. In fact, we would not have opened the doors that weekend. And who knows how long it would have been before we opened those. And the fact that we are giving out $700 a week to families in need through the Dollar Club. The fact that we are distributing this week over 180 Thanksgiving boxes to families in need. All go back to that $1,000 check that that woman wrote. 24 years ago. 
She is a partner in the ongoing ministry of Northgate Fellowship. And I am to this day so grateful for her. See, that's what happens when you choose to draw the line of enough and choose to use the extra to make a difference in this world. And if you think about it, it is really the only honest response to grace. See, the grace of God is that we who deserved nothing, who had nothing, who were spiritually empty, bankrupt, in need, God came to us, the person of Jesus Christ, and he gave his life on a cross so that we who were spiritually bankrupt could be made rich. That's the gospel. And the only real response that there can be to the gospel is to take the generosity and grace of our God and extend it to, into our world. That's the only logical response to that. Last week I ended with this passage, and I am ending it with it again this week. And when I was a little kid growing up in Sunday school, we had these things called memory verses. Here is your memory verse. This is, this is one of those that you should take home with you, that you should memorize and make it a part of your life. It's 2 Corinthians 8, 9. In fact, we'll put it up on the screen. I'd like you to read it out loud with me. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.